Well, if you would, let me go ahead and ask you to take out your Bibles. And let's turn together to the book of Romans in chapter 8. As we continue working our way verse by verse through this uh, particular book of the Bible, and especially in these days through this chapter that is so helpful, so precious. Um, I hope it's already been very valuable in your life and some of the best parts are still to come. We're at one of the best parts now. Uh, This morning our focus is Romans 8 verse 15. Um, But in order to get the context, I want to begin reading in verse 12. So uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, uh, you'll find this on page 944. Uh, Let's begin reading in Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Already in verse 15, we have seen that the Spirit that we have received from God as Christians is not a spirit of slavery resulting in fear, but a a spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us faith in Jesus, bringing us into our adoption. It is the Spirit who causes us to understand, to know, to believe in our adoption. It is the Holy Spirit who through the Word causes us to know God as Father, to sense his love for us, to have his love shed abroad in our hearts. It is through the Spirit that we approach God, Almighty God, Holy, Holy, Holy God, Consuming Fire God, the mountains quake before him, God. We get to approach him as Abba, Father. This is where our focus will be this morning. You see, we've already seen six general principles concerning our adoption. We saw that number one, adoption is an act of God's grace. Number two, adoption is possible only through the cross. Number three, it is granted only through union with Jesus Christ. Number four, that it is given to all who are justified by faith and none others. We saw that adoption is both forensic and familial, that is legal, relational. And we saw, number six, that adoption is a Trinitarian work. And so we laid the foundation of this doctrine. What does the Bible teach about this glorious truth of Christians being adopted by God? We've also already seen 
the central place that adoption holds in the big plan of God. We saw that Adam was created as a son of God. We saw that his sonship was lost in the fall. We saw how God adopted national Israel in the Old Testament in a temporary, earthly, shadowy kind of way, pointing to a day when he would adopt his true people. God's adopted people are those who believe on Christ, his church from every generation. And while we as Christians experience our adoption as a present reality, we saw that there is a sense in which our adoption will be finalized on the day we are made holy and we have the Father's image and character in ourselves and we meet with him in heaven. Well, this morning, I want to turn our attention to the glory of God as Father. God is glorious in every role that he fills, but God is particularly glorious in his role towards us as a father. So this is our third heading in our study on adoption and our study of Romans 8.15, the glory of God as Father. Uh, We see this very clearly in our verse. The Spirit teaches us that God is our Father so that we approach him with the cry, Abba, Father. What does that word Abba mean? Have you ever heard people use that word, Abba? There was a famous pop band in the 70s called ABBA that has nothing to do with our word. Uh, They got their names from the first letter of the four band members' names. So that's no help at all. Um, I bet you've heard the name Abigail before. Uh, The name Abigail literally means the father rejoices or happy father And so we have a hint there as to what Abba means. Uh, Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Uh, In other words, at the end of verse 15, Paul actually writes the word father twice. He writes it once in Aramaic and once in Greek. Abba, Aramaic, Greek, pater, father. Why, why does Paul do that? Why does he write the word father twice? Why does he do it once in Aramaic, once in Greek? Well, there are at least three reasons why I would guess that Paul chose to add in this Aramaic word, Abba. The first is that Abba, even more than the Greek word, pater, it's a word of intimacy. Uh, it's a word that comes from the babbling of a very young child, Uh, It's very similar to our dada, right? Abba. Uh, The word is meant to teach us this special, close, familial relationship that we have with God. Now we have to be very careful here. Uh, There have been some in the last few decades that have taught that since Paul uses this word Abba, and it is an intimate word for father, we should approach God as um, daddy. Sometimes they begin to speak even in irreverent terms about God. And so I need to remind you that while the word Abba is an intimate term for father, fathers in first century Jewish culture were august figures. 
Uh, That is, uh, children in first century Judaism were expected to treat their fathers, yes, with intimacy, but also with a great deal of reverence and respect. In fact, not only according to Jewish law, but also according to Roman law, fathers had the right to put their own children to death. So both of these ideas must come together in this word Abba. God is a father with whom we are intimate. We are, he is near to us. He is dear to us. He looks on us with tenderness. And yet he is Abba, father, someone to be revered, someone to be treated with respect. And so when we think about this word, we need to have both of those ideas in mind. We come to God as Father, which means both love and reverence. The second reason that I think Paul adds this Aramaic word, Abba, uh, Father, is he wants to show us our union with Christ and how it is only through Jesus that God is now our Father. You see, what language was it that Jesus spoke? Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And Abba was the word that Jesus used when he prayed to his father. In fact, in Mark 14, 36, Mark goes out of his way to bring this to our attention. Uh, There, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to go to the cross And we find Jesus praying. And what does Jesus pray? Listen to this verse. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now do you hear the connection between Mark's verse and our verse here in Romans? Jesus prayed, Abba, father now actually Jesus probably prayed Abba but Mark adds in the Greek father for the for his Greek readers but he wants them to know Abba was the word he used and so he writes it twice once in Aramaic once in Greek Uh, he wants us to know this is the language with which Jesus approached his father Abba and now Paul says in Romans 8 15 that we as Christians get to come to God the Father in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus' Abba is now our Abba. Just as the Father was intimate with His Son, ready to hear His every prayer, so the Father is towards you and me as Christians. Through faith, you and I are united to Jesus and in a sense, Something of the relationship between God and Jesus is now true of us and our relationship with God. Do you see how amazing this is? Um, When you marry into a family, right? Suddenly your spouse's father, in a sense, becomes your father. So imagine that your spouse's father was the king of the land, and everyone else must, must stand in fear of him. And, and you don't just go walking in on the king of the land. But you have through union with your spouse. You suddenly have your spouse's father is your father. You suddenly have bold access. Well, that's how it is. We are the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. God is the bridegroom's father. 
We are united to him so that his father is our father and we get to approach him the same way Jesus did when he was on the earth. And then I think there's a third reason that Paul adds this Aramaic word, Abba. Put simply, this was the way that Jesus taught his disciples to approach God. You see, almost everyone agrees that since Jesus spoke and taught in Aramaic, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the first line he taught them was, Our Abba, who art in heaven. Now don't get me wrong, there is nothing magical about this Aramaic form of the word. Whether you say Abba, Pater, Father, they all refer to the same relationship. But Paul is reminding us that this is how Jesus taught us to approach God. Through him we are to approach God as Father. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us of our Father's love and moves us to pray to him in this tender way. We approach God as our Abba, our Father. Now, our verse teaches us to approach God that way. What does it mean to have God as our Father? Let this just sink in for the next few minutes as we talk about some of the glory of what it means that God is your Father if you're a Christian. Let me mention four ways that God is a father to us. First, God is our father in that we have been conceived by him. God is our father in that we have been conceived by him. This is different from typical human adoption. In the adoptions that you and I are used to, the child has already been conceived and born and then is adopted by different parents. But in our adoption by God, the word comes to us and actually reconceives us. First uh, Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This is what's amazing about our adoption by God. He actually transforms our very being. We are not only transferred from Satan's family to God's family. We're not only transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are actually recreated. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, Michael Horton says it's as if you have been recast and rescripted in the story of the world. You were originally playing this role in the drama of history and now you are becoming a totally different person with a new role to play in history. You have been reconceived, reborn. Now here is one great implication of this. Because when God comes to you through the gospel, you are reconceived and reborn, you are completely released of the old obligations that you had to your old family. Now think about this. Sometimes adopted children want to find their biological parents when they get older. 
Sometimes adopted children even continue to have relationships with their biological parents as children, even though they've been adopted by other people. But that is not how it is with us. In our case, when we are adopted by God, our ties with our old family are cut. That is, we are not to look back with any sympathy on our old father, the devil. Uh, he is no longer even our biological father. We have been reconceived. We have been reborn. This is how radical the adoption is that we receive by God. We have no old ties to the kingdom of darkness. We have no old ties to, to the devil himself. No, we have been set free from all that. We have been reborn into an entirely new and different family. Second, God is our Father in that His image is being perfected in us. His image is being perfected in us. So when a child is adopted by a family, that child will begin to be influenced by the new members of his family. Uh, the child will learn the mannerisms, the habits, the new ways of speaking that are all part of that new family. But at the same time, that child will still bear many features that have been passed down from his biological parents. Um, I read the other day about the founder of Amazon and how he never really knew his biological father, but it turned out that they have the very same laugh. He didn't learn it from his father. He never knew his father, but just genetically, biologically, they have the same very distinctive laugh. So also with adopted children, adopted children have traits and habits and mannerisms that they've learned from their adoptive parents, but they also have genetic traits that have been passed down from their biological parents. Well, in our adoption, we have been truly born again. And therefore, not only are we learning new habits and mannerisms and ways of speaking from our Father, but His very image is actually being cultivated and developed from the inside. Children look like their parents, and we are being made by the Holy Spirit to look more like our Father in this world. But I want to spend more time on this third point. God is our Father in that He relates to us with a fatherly, tender love. God is our Father in that He relates to us with a fatherly, tender love. Our Heavenly Father provides for us. Psalm 34.10 The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Matthew 6.31-33 Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, knowing that our Father is committed to providing for us is a wonderful cure against anxiety and against fear. One of the last words that we have from the Apostle Paul 
is what he writes at the end of second timothy Um, there's this whole debate about whether he is speaking of the devil and the devil's fiery darts or whether he's speaking about emperor nero and threats against paul's life but listen to what paul writes he says the lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the gentiles might hear it and so i was rescued from the lion's mouth God would not allow Paul to suffer beyond what was necessary. He would not allow Paul to be killed before it was his time. You think of Daniel in the lion's den. You think of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We even think of the hungry people on the hillside and Jesus having compassion on them and providing the bread and the fish and multiplying it for their for their food we think of that poor widow in first kings and her jar of flour that god miraculously refilled every single day we think of the people of israel and how manna fell from the sky to provide for them mount Hermon, our god is a father to us and he will provide for us Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Can you say that? Do you say that? Do you say it to your soul often? right God is my father I am safe and secure through Jesus Christ he is going to protect me and provide for me God does protect us it is a characteristic of good fathers that they protect their children from harm and that's exactly what our God does for us he protects his children from harm Listen to how Peter describes us in 1 Peter 1.5. He says that we are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, God is protecting us. He is sustaining our faith. He is refusing to let us utterly fall away. He is preserving us till the end. God protects us body and soul He only allows those temptations. He only allows those sufferings that he has deemed to be good for us, to fit us for heaven. And our God is not a weak God. He has all power to protect you with. And our God is not a foolish God. He uses his infinite wisdom in the way that he protects your body and protects your soul. Psalm 91, 11 through 12, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Have you ever thought about the fact that one of the great purposes of angels is to fulfill God's will in protecting his children? Uh, I picture a king who wants to care for his children. And so he has hired servants who their whole job is just to be with the children all the time to protect them as royal bodyguards. Well, we have angels who serve God by protecting us in ways we never see. 
Uh, Psalm 34.1 gives us this picture of angels pitching their tents around God's people in a circle, protecting them, guarding them from enemies. In Daniel chapter 9, we see God's angels at work to answer the prayers of God's children. God saw and he heard the prayers of his child Daniel and he dispatched the angel Gabriel to accomplish his response. Daniel prayed to his father. The father said, I will answer that prayer. And who did he call? He sent Gabriel. Go do what I've called you to do. Oh, if we could only see what happens in the spiritual realm and the way that our father is working even now to protect us and to care for us. In Luke 16, Jesus speaks of angels coming to a believer at death to usher his soul into the presence of God. And when Jesus was near death, in agony, in Gethsemane, it was angels that God sent to sustain him and uphold him. Your Father is protecting you in ways you can't see. God is protecting you against dangers you don't even know exist. God is protecting you in ways you don't even understand. Psalm 121, Israel's keeper neither slumbers nor sleeps. His watchful, protective eye is always alert. He does much to keep you safe in His arms and to bring you to heaven. Our Father, with His loving, tenderly care, is always leading us. Good fathers lead their children. They they show them the way to go and help them to go in that way. Our Father does this through our elder brother, through Christ, our good shepherd. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads us by His Spirit. He leads us through His Word. He teaches us his wisdom. He he brings godly brothers and sisters into our lives to give us good counsel. We are not alone as we make decisions in life. We have the help of our Father. The more we grow in Christ, the more we learn the will of our Father and we know how to act and what to do. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so God gives you the Bible. He gives you the Spirit. He gives you your brothers and sisters in Christ all to aid you in helping you make right decisions and to walk right paths. There is more. This one maybe doesn't sound as wonderful, but it's a good gift. Your father's tender love towards you comes even in his discipline of you as his child. Our father does discipline us. Do you know that? Do you know that your father disciplines you from time to time? And where would we be without his discipline? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. How can you know that you're loved by God? How can you know that you have been accepted as a son or daughter of God? Well, the Father disciplines all that are his children. Loving parents discipline. 
is unloving not to discipline. Kids, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Loving parents discipline. Unloving parents do not. The writer of Hebrews continues, it is for discipline that you have to endure. You see, the the Hebrews in particular were suffering persecution. Uh, They had seen some of their own thrown in prison because they were following Jesus. They had seen people come in and, and ransack and rob their houses because they were Christians. And on top of this, they were having to endure the struggle of remaining faithful to God in a wicked world. But Hebrews 12, 7 says that God was having them endure all of this for the purpose of discipline. He was training them. He was weeding vices out of their lives. He was cultivating virtue in his children. They were being fitted for heaven through these difficult seasons. Mount Hermon, when you think of your father's discipline of you, don't think strictly in negative terms. Discipline is everything that God does in your life to train you for holiness. Uh, The Hebrew writer goes on to say it this way. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, Mount Hermon, there's a connection between Romans 8, 13, 14, 15, and our Father's discipline. Remember, we've already been taught in our passage that we are to be sin killers. We are to be warring against sin in our lives. We are to be practicing self-denial. We are to be putting to death the deeds of the body. And this can be difficult. This can be painful. Your flesh doesn't like it when you say no make you feel miserable on top of that others may mock you and you may miss out on earthly gains as you learn self-control and self-denial but dear friends as you are battling your sin and even when it hurts it is your father disciplining you training you to make you holy and he is doing this as the father who loves you do not kill sin merely out of obligation well my father told me to right kill sin because it is your father who called you to do this he knows what's right for you and he loves you more than you love yourself i guarantee it and you love yourself a lot more than you know we all do but your father loves you even more he knows what is best for you and when he when he sets boundaries when he sets lines for you to walk in trust him and even when it hurts walk in them he is training you fitting you for heaven John Owen said that all of our sufferings are for our education and instruction in God's family. In many ways, God's discipline is the way we learn from our Father. Another Puritan, Samuel Willard, said it this way, 
all of our afflictions are helps towards heaven. Memorize that. All of our afflictions as God's children are helps towards heaven. Uh, Samuel Willard said that all of the afflictions that God sends upon his people contribute to the increase of their eternal glory. Every reproach and injury that you experience in this life will only add to the weight of your crown in the life to come. There is nothing that God brings into your life today that is not ultimately for your good. He is your father and he does not take delight in the misery of his children. The only way he allows you to be miserable today or to suffer today is if he must for your good. And you will ultimately look back and be thankful and even praise God for his discipline. We also experience our Father's tender love and his great willingness to listen to us. How our Father loves for us to draw near to him and to lift our concerns to him. Do you remember Jesus' promise to us? This is a promise for children of God. He says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be open. This is the promise. Be people who ask and seek and knock. But do you remember what Jesus said next? Do you remember the reason he gave that we can be sure that God hears our prayers and longs to answer them and will unless it interferes with his glory and our good? Why will God hear and answer our prayers? Listen, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? In other words, Jesus points directly at the fatherhood of God and the fact that He is our Abba, our Father, and He says that's how you can know that He loves your prayers, hears your prayers, and seeks to answer them. He is not just God on His throne, though He is that, but He is your Father on the throne. I recently heard of a Scottish pastor who was traveling to America on a ship over the sea. He had enough money to get from the port, to get to the port where the ship would leave. He had enough money to buy his ticket, but he didn't have enough money to pay for the food that he would need on the long voyage across the Atlantic. And so when he left his house, he had packed as many oat cakes as he could into his luggage, thinking that he would be able to survive off of these oat cakes until he made it to America. He made it to the port, he boarded the ship, he spent his last money in buying the ticket, and then he began eating his oat cakes, and he, he rationed them as best as he could. He ate just a little bit each day, but despite being as careful as he was, he soon found himself with no food. And there were still several days left on the voyage. What was worse, his cabin on the ship happened to be right near the galley where some aboard the ship would come and eat freshly cooked meals. And so in his room, day after day, he had to smell the aroma of the cooking food. It would fill his cabin. It would torment his stomach. 
but he himself had nothing to eat. Finally, near the very end of his voyage, almost on the last day, someone on the ship asked him if he would come and eat with them in the galley and have conversation. And this pastor, rather embarrassed, admitted that he didn't have any money to buy food, and so he could not come. And the other fellow responded, Dear sir, the meals in the galley were included in the price of your ticket. You see, this fellow had the right every day to go to the galley and to enjoy those wonderful meals. He had paid for them without even realizing it. They were his. But in his lack of knowledge, he had gone without, full of hunger, being tormented by the smells. You know where I'm going. How often are we like this? How often do we do the same thing? Our Father loves to give to His children. He loves to give us what we need. He tells us, He commands us to ask, to seek, to knock. These are present, active, indicative verbs. Keep regularly asking. Keep regularly seeking. Keep regularly knocking. Your Father doesn't get tired of you. You grow tired of prayer far quicker than God tires of you hearing Him, hearing from you. I promise. So go to him often. Don't go without when your father who loves you is God over all creation and has all things at his disposal to help you. Consider what your soul needs. Consider what those around you in this room and in your family need. Consider the needs of Christ's kingdom and then go to your father in prayer. He loves to answer. He loves to give his children what they need. So we've seen that God is our Father who has reconceived us. His image is being formed in us. He relates to us with loving, fatherly, tenderly care. We'll close with this very brief point. God is our Father in that we have His never-ending commitment and loyalty. God is our Father in that we have His never-ending commitment and loyalty. Though He disciplines us, He will never cast us off. We have been sealed by the Spirit of our Father. He is eternally committed to our welfare. There have been adoptions that were ended. There have been adoptions that were reversed. Your adoption by God is an adoption that will never end and will never be reversed. We are God's children forever. And God is committed to our welfare forever. Mount Hermon, do you see the difference that this should make in us? As Christ walked this earth and fulfilled his ministry, he did so conscious of the fact that he was the Son of God. It was this relationship with his Father that shaped everything about Jesus. It it emboldened him. It gave him what he needed to fulfill his callings. This is how it ought to be for us. This truth should impact every moment of our lives. Every calling on your life, every role, every relationship that you have should be colored by this fact. I am a child of God. And my Father loves me and He's going to take care of me and He is committed forever to my welfare. Here is our joy. Here is our strength. Here is our security Here is our peace when the world seems crazy. We are children of Almighty God. And if you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you to know Him. 
Give yourself to him. Follow him. Trust him. So that God will be your God as well. Let me close with this quote. Again from Samuel Willard. He says, Be always comforting yourselves with the thought of your adoption. Draw your comforts from this tap. Fetch your consolations from this relationship. Be therefore often chewing upon the precious privileges of it and make them your rejoicing. Let this joy outstrip the fervency of every other joy. Let this joy dispel the mists of every sorrow. Let this joy clear up your souls in the midst of all troubles and difficulties. We are headed for the perfect experience of our adoption in heaven where we will dwell at the fountain and we will swim forever in those bankless and bottomless oceans of glory. What a blessing to be children of God. Do you believe it? Are you going to live in it? Let's pray.